You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm so pleased to have with me Steve Hightower. Steve is president and CEO of Hightower's Petroleum. It is a multi-million dollar enterprise consisting of five national and international businesses. Steve is a self-made, and I mean self-made entrepreneur in the business since 1979, and he grew um, High Towers Petroleum into the business that it is today. It's Ohio-based. He is a, a wholesale fuel supply company, um, and he's built it into an international enterprise. And how I first met Steve is he is a member along uh, with me as chair of the Fuels Institute's EV Council. So not only is High Towers involved in petroleum, but it's involved across the fuel chain in electric vehicles. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's get into it. Uh, For the listeners who may not be familiar, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and High Towers Petroleum? It's absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, it's not just petroleum. Like I said in the beginning, you're doing a little bit of everything from charging, energy efficiency, crude oil, LNG trading, you name it. Uh, you're doing it. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, starting in probably 1981 uh, is when I got my first petroleum contract, and that was with the state of Ohio. Prior to that, I grew up in the janitorial business, as many of my listeners know. And uh, in that particular business is where I really got my business skills and, and negotiating skills and a lot of things that were just baseline Uh, But in 1981, having that first opportunity to actually uh, bid on a fuel contract with the state of Ohio, uh, that contract was a set aside, uh, which BP had had the contract for like 32 years. Uh, At that particular time, uh, they did not want to participate with uh, diverse businesses at that level. And I had a gentleman out of um, Cincinnati, Don Likens, uh, step up and quote me uh, on that particular contract. And so my first petroleum contract was the entire state of Ohio. Well, I was transactional. I knew how to go get a supplier, knew how to pay my bills and invoice and so on and so forth. And so was able to, you know, actually perform on the contract. Uh, But what was most important is turning it into a business. And I took that opportunity to then uh, go out and actually negotiate a few trucks, uh, which we purchased from BP, uh, ironically or not. Uh, And then, you know, from there, we just got one contract at a time, uh, working with uh, highway contractors, working with casino riverboats was coming in at that particular time in Indiana. And, and those are the kind of things where just, it gave me my opportunity to learn the industry. And that's why a lot of people talk about, you know, these programs uh, and what are they good for? Well, they're good for giving you an opportunity to learn the industry, get in the industry in a somewhat sheltered, you know, position. But when you start growing the business and actually get into the industry, that's when you actually become a the business. And that's something that I 
always taken to heart. I never wanted just one of anything. So didn't have just one supplier and I just didn't want one contract. We wanted to go out and grow the business. And from 1984, moving forward, I just continued to get one customer at a time, taking care of that customer. Uh, and many of the customers, including the state of Ohio, uh, I have actually bid war and won uh, year after year, uh, sometimes on a five-year basis. Uh, they've been my customer even to this day. So I, I pride myself in doing a good job and doing what I say, uh, performing when you know things are very, very difficult. Whether you're always making money or not making money, you have to keep your, you know, you got to keep your commitments. And that's what allows you to continue to have customers for a long period of time. So you're one of the leading largest companies in Ohio, and you're a major fuel supplier in the midst of an energy transition, arguably. We're, we're talking a lot more about, you know, decarbonizing here in the U.S. It's going on around the world. So you've built this business. You built it from scratch. You built it one contract at a time, um, hoofing it, um, I <laughs> would imagine, as a fellow entrepreneur. <laughs> right. It's one contract, one customer, one client um, at a time. Now we're in an energy transition, and we're talking a lot about decarbonization. So how do you balance this um, and prepare? And, and how do you see, um, as a CEO, uh, the fuel space evolving in the U.S. Um, over the coming years? Well, we're in somewhat of a unique position because our customer base, as we've developed it as a national distributor and uh, working primarily with corporate America, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, uh, we're very uh, involved with the automotive industry. Uh, General Motors, as an example, uh, we do their initial fills, which means that every car that comes off of the GM assembly plant gets five gallons worth of fuel. Mm -hmm. That fuel is provided by Hightower's Petroleum Company. Uh, that's the same way with Honda as well as Nissan. Uh, we do those initial fields. And even with Ford, we work in their test track as well as others testing facilities. Understanding what your customer is moving towards, i.e. cleaner fuels. So we're looking at uh, renewables uh, that we brought into our system. And we've got like a R100, which is a renewable mm -hmm. diesel that acts exactly as 100% renewable, but it acts with the same principles and properties of diesel fuel. Uh, so it even have a minus 15 pour point, which means that you can hardly find any biofuel that does not begin to cloud and freeze at 32 degrees. Mm -hmm. So this actually goes to a minus 15, which means that it's an exceptional product and 100% renewable. Moving on from that, and again, listening to what our customers are, where they're going to and what they're looking for, uh, you go beyond that. And now you're talking about uh, EV. And well, I had plants being shut down and converting to EV. And I have to look at now those vehicles that they're building are now basically using a different fuel. And that fuel just happens to be electricity. So, you know, either you're going to be the last horse and buggy on the street or you're going to, you know, get, get you know. Get yourself a Model T. And, <laughs> and get on with it, you know, and, and, and find your, you know, find a customer in the market where it's going, not, you know, trying to catch up once it's done. And so we put together uh, Hightower EV Solutions, which does a turnkey 
uh, program that offers everything from engineering, design, permit pulling, uh, the technology, as well as installation, and then subsequently being able to maintain uh, those uh, charging facilities across the country and actually globally, we have that capability. So, you know, we move very aggressively into uh, that market, not leaving behind the market that we have, of course, uh, making sure that we take care of the customers that we do have on, on the uh, normal fuels, liquid fuel side. We have a couple hundred customers throughout the U.S. and uh, they demand, you know, every day they have to have their fuel. You know, FedEx has to run. Uh, when you go to a Kroger store and you need to fill up, the fuel has to be there. Uh, those are the kind of customers that we service that really it makes a difference whether or not, you know, you're there or not. It's, a, it's a, not a maybe, it's a must. And so the level of responsibility uh, that's involved in this type of industry, uh, and we call it a critical business, uh, it's, it's, it demands uh, performance every day. So what you're saying basically is, is, is it's kind of like President Obama's all out, all of the above. For the customers I, that want petroleum product, they get a petroleum product. For the customers that want a biofuel product, they get a biofuel product. For the customers that want charging, you're prepared to do that. That is correct, but it's all in the energy space, you yeah. know, and, and that's one of the things that I tell a lot of people. Well, we're not selling food. We're not selling chairs and furniture. We're not selling steel. We sell energy and uh, and we try to become deep in that space uh, by bringing on things that complement our existing offering in the same space of energy. So tell me a little bit more about the EV chart, your EV charging business. How is um, that uh, going and growing uh, so far? Um, how are customers re re responding to that? Do you see a call um, for more and more uh, charging? And you're out there kind of competing with the big, the big guys, so well, to speak. Actually, we're in the ecosystem and the ecosystem, just like in a petroleum business, is very uh, somewhat uh, convoluted uh, and they you have to work well with the industry. And it's, it, it, I'll first use the petroleum industry as an example where BP, Exxon and Shell uh, compete every day, but then at the same time, they buy from each other every day. So they're competitors as well as they do business with each other on a daily basis. Well, that's the same in the petroleum business. Well, now you fast forward that into electric vehicles and electric charging stations. Well, we're all in the same room together. We're learning together. We're working together uh, in the sandbox. And that ecosystem, uh, fortunately, we were able to get involved about two years ago. Uh, and you tend to find the same people that's in the room as you go around the country <laughs> to these conferences. And then that's they kind of true. Those become your relationships. Uh, those mm -hmm. become your suppliers. Uh, so today, when you say that we, you have large competition, that is absolutely true. We're one of those uh, mm -hmm. large competitors. Uh, and I say we're one of those because in our supply chain, uh, when we look at the make ready, we have an, our own engineering firm, uh, HP Energy, that can actually work with the utilities and actually do the make ready, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which means that is there is there enough power in your geographic area in order to do this project that you, Mr. Customer, want to perform? 
Then once we fi- we find that out, then we look, you know, go into the inside of the facility and we do, you know, assessments as to, you know, design and actually design where that particular uh uh, charging station might go. Uh, in a case of, say, let's look at a uh, last mile carrier such as a UPS or a FedEx, well, they may want something inside that's hanging from the roof rafters that when they back their vehicles up in, you know, into those uh, that they could just pull down. Whereas if you're looking at a Kroger's or a retail store, they they want to stand alone right there. So in, if you're in a country and you don't have power, maybe you need solar. So, you know, uh, there are different technologies and we have about seven different uh, technologies that we work with. All of them are global. All of them are very, very uh, reputable. Uh, and we actually, you know, depending on the customer's needs, geographic location, the conditions uh, of the marketplace, as well as their facilities, uh, provide them options with the necessary software and so on and so forth that will allow them to make the best decision. Then after that, then the permit pulling, uh, actually uh, installing the equipment, and then uh, from that, after that has been done, the ongoing maintenance, that is what HP Hightower's EV Solutions, that's what we do, okay? Mm-hmm. We do all of that in a turnkey basis. And so we we came to the market with people like Black & Beach as some of our engineering, because when we look at global co- companies, we would like to be able to offer them a global solution like right now, if you've got plants all over the world, uh, we have in our supply chain, you know, that capability of performing at that level on an instant. Uh, All of our technologies are uh, US made. Uh, Some of them are global as well, and uh, they're big boys. Um, So, and then our contractors all over the country, which we've got a footprint of contractors. Some are union in certain geographic locations, uh, Chicago, Detroit, New York, uh, but then in other areas, they're non-union. So we've got contractors that will cover the entire uh, country where we have project managers that manage those particular units throughout the country. So the way we put together our solution is to be that one-stop shop for a corporation that don't have to buy and do all of those various different aspects of installing a charger, but have one company that manages the entire footprint with sizable, very credible, you know, suppliers, contractors, technology, so on and so forth. Best of the best because we have that optionality. So how do you see on a on a larger scale um, from the from the 50,000 foot um, view, how do you see both the EV market and charging? Um, evolving over the next 10 years, um, particularly where where you sit in the in the business? Well, if you start today, uh, the only, fortunately and unfortunately, the only money in the charging stations are those that's actually installing them. Uh, with very few exceptions geographically in the country, maybe in California, where the big experiment first started uh, with the Volkswagen uh, lawsuit monies to actually have to put alternative uh, its technologies in place 
So they've been doing it for a while. And so there's a lot more EV vehicles in California. But you look at the rest of the country, uh, a retailer uh, that has a retail fueling station, there's not enough traffic coming into that station to warrant to make the investment of having EV charging station today. Okay. And so therefore, it's a risk on how you know, much do we want to spend? How many charges do we want to put in there, knowing that you may only get one or two, you know, a day uh, in your geographic market? Uh, it just doesn't pay uh, in their model. Uh, as you can see, their model, they get the best corners, they get the most traffic, you know, and, and they want cars in there all the time. So, they can't see that investment in a retail spot. If you look at the companies that's actually making those investments, it is the FedExes, it is the UPSs, it's some of the major corporations that have large fleets. They've mm -hmm. ordered 500 to 1,000 vehicles uh, that will be coming over the next year. So they have to put infrastructure in. Again, that's a cost, it's an investment. There's no return on that investment at this particular time. So those that's actually putting in the infrastructure uh, that owns those properties are very at high risk in terms of return on investment. And so that's why the government funding that is uh, being put in place to make this happen is really the only way that it would happen in terms of the infrastructure being rolled out in this entire country. Uh, so the dichotomy in, in terms of, you know, how do you make money? You know, is this going to be a viable mm -hmm. business, particularly in the retail uh, stores? Uh, they're just not really sure about that yet. Oh, and yeah, so it's back very, and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they're very slow to come to the market because the market has not matured such that they can get a return. And mm -hmm. why just have money out there sitting? And so that's the you know thought process of many retail uh, outlets today. So what are the biggest opportunities? So your, your company on the EV charging side is doing everything from pulling the permits to working with the utilities to actually putting the steel, if you will, uh, in, in the ground to maintaining them. So now you have a lot of experience uh, from top to bottom um, on charging. So what are the biggest opportunities and challenges, in your opinion, as we go about developing this nationwide infrastructure to, to support EV scale up from your experience and where you sit? Well, the, the biggest challenge is, is the evolution of technology. And technology is rapidly changing as you mm -hmm. actually put in the charging station today. Uh, there's going to be totally different, you know, options five years from now. Okay, certain things are going to be better. The battery storage will be better. Uh, you know, there's a lot, and, and even how you charge is going to become different. Uh, as an example. You know, if you've got a cell phone, you have these little things that you can just sit the cell phone on and it actually charges without actually being plugged in. Well, you can actually put that in asphalt or concrete and just actually have your vehicle uh, roll on top of it and actually charge while you're sitting there at a stoplight or someplace, mm -hmm. okay, uh, a parking lot. So, so it's the fact that from a software standpoint, we, we offer open infrastructure with uh, cybersecurity at its highest uh, dimension uh, to be able to be take on 
new information as technology evolves and you don't necessarily have to always just change your entire infrastructure I mean, in terms of your technology because it has the ability to grow. Some companies uh, have a closed uh, infrastructure uh, cap in their technology, which means that other people can't talk to it, but also means that it does not, you know, it, it doesn't have the ability to grow as the market grows. So we're, you know, we're always looking at how do you future proof whatever uh, technology or whatever solution that you come up with, how, it, how can we put it in a manner in which it can grow with as technology grows? So that's very important. So last question, fun question. Not that the other ones weren't fun. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what excites you most about this space? The fuel space, petroleum, electric uh, vehicle, uh, charging infrastructure, all of it. What excites you most about this space and why? Well, the... We've been in... I've been in business all my life, literally. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... The one thing about this space is that regardless of what the cost is, um, it's a must. You know, our customers have to have fuel every right. day, whether right. they're state patrol, whether it's General Motors or AT&T or Kroger's or, you know, Duke Energy. They use fuel every day. And so as a price goes up to five dollars, you know, people scream but hurry up and get my fuel to me. $2, they're happy to see me. Places to go, <laughs> people to see. You got, regardless, you know, you got to be there. Okay, right. one way or the other. So, so it's one of those businesses that, you know, again, regardless of the market conditions uh, and the cost of it, um, it's not a maybe. Uh, it's not like, you know, I might go to the retail store today and I might not. Uh, you have to have it every day. It's a Steve must. It's a must. You got to get where you got to go, right? That's right. <laughs> and that's a consistent, uh, rateable type business. Well, Steve, it was great uh, to have you on the show and to talk with you a little bit about what High Towers is doing and your views on some of these issues. I mean, I just think it's um, it's kind of an amazing uh, space to play in and grow, right? I mean, LNG, efficiency, crude oil, petroleum, charging, well, renewables. One of the things that we did not talk about is the yeah. upstream, and oh, that's yes. what's next for Hightower, okay? okay. Uh, while we obviously have to service the customers that we have in the downstream, and, mm -hmm. and that's delivered business to uh, end, use, end users, mm -hmm. uh, the upstream is more the trading of the crude oil LNG, which is a global uh, activity. And uh, that is something that I've been working on for the last four years that has now come into flourishing. Uh, and uh, we're very excited about, you know, some of the things that we have already established in that global marketplace uh, from Saudi Arabia to uh, Trinidad and Tobago to Morocco uh, to China. And, wow. uh, you know, that's a whole new exciting frontier for us uh, that, you have to be very careful, very cautious about it, but mm -hmm. very, you know, deliberate. And uh, so thus far, uh, it is working out very well for us. Oh, that's great. Steve, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. I hope you come back as uh, things continue to develop. And it's great to be with you on the EV Council. Well, thank you very much. And I appreciate the opportunity. 
You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.